everybody and welcome to the Shine a Light podcast. This is Megan. I'm excited today to have um, a guest with me via Skype. So Julian, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, my name is Julian Goodson. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I work for Bethany Christian Services by way of Grand Rapids Center of Community Transformation. And my job title is a youth development specialist. So imagine like your foster care kids between the ages of 14 and 18 all meeting in one place at one time. And my job is to teach them leadership development skills. Okay. And is on employability. Okay. Um, so I teach like four different classes and five different high schools. And, and then I follow those same kids around and make sure they're okay as, as a social Wow. I recently interviewed my brother on this podcast. He is a social worker. And we kind of talked a little bit about the lack of males in the social work field. Is that something that you see too? Um, yes, in particular with black males. Okay. Uh, African-American males. It's a, it's a shortage of them. Um, it's extremely gratifying work. Didn't always pay the best, but we don't go into it for a month. So. Right. Okay. And what exactly did you want to shine a light on? Um, I want to shine a light today on like foster care and the emphasis of foster care. Um, and at any given time, Megan, there can be upwards of about four hundred to five hundred thousand kids in across the United States that um, are waiting uh, families. Wow. So when you think about like that many kids that don't have a family or someone that they can call mom and dad or sisters and brothers, and they're just waiting to. So for people to adopt them um, is definitely something that needs to be a light that needs to be shined on that topic. Absolutely. We um, don't have enough foster parents. Like, point blank, you don't have enough foster parents. So I want to shine a light on uh, that. Okay. Why is this something that's very important to you? Um, there, for, for a lot of different reasons, my, my life has been totally ingrained in some form of foster care for a lot of years. Um, actually, probably my whole life. When I was 14 years old, um, my mom died of diabetes. And what took place from there was like a multitude of like events that was, was out of my control to where now I'm 14 years old and I'm living in my childhood home by myself without any parents, so to speak. So when that took place, it was really difficult for me to like maintain any type of schooling or paying bills and doing all of that type of stuff. No 14 year old should actually have to go through that by himself. Right. Um, so after kind of struggling, um, and this is like the late 80s, early 90s. So um, like the the crack cocaine era kind of like destroyed my neighborhood, and my community as it as it was built. Um, so it was a lot of at risk. Like a lot of my friends were like like either going to jail or you know dying and things like that. So it was very tumultuous time. And my aunt and uncle just kind of came and got me one day, um, and just kind of introduced me to the to the concept of foster care. I didn't necessarily enter the system, um, but I'm quite sure if somebody would came and shined a light on what was going on in my home, I probably would have got removed. 
but my but my aunt and uncle came to pick me up. And when they came to pick me up, um, my life changed. And all of a sudden, my my aunt and uncle kind of became my mother and my father figures, and my cousins then became my brother and sister. Um, so I was able to finish high school, put myself in college, and start a professional career. Um, and I always wondered what would happen to me if if my if my aunt and uncle wouldn't have came in and done and done that. Yeah. So now that I'm an adult, and my wife and I. Uh, decided that this is what we were going to do. I figured this was my way of paying it back and paying it forward and just making sure that now I'm parenting the, the child that I used to be through through foster care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and did you know um, as you're in college that you would probably want to go into a career in this field? No. Okay. <laughs> in fact, my, my degree was uh, in sales and marketing project management. Um, so one day after I was in sales for probably 20 years and one day I, I just had a sick feeling in my stomach that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, something more purpose driven. I felt like I missed my school, uh, my calling as a school teacher. So what I did was started to volunteer my time with a lot of the boys that were actually in my community, um, because my, my son's foster sons that actually that I would adopt at 15 and 17 years old they brought a lot of friends home and it seemed like those birds of a feather were, were always like at my house mm-hmm. and I just started to like volunteer my time with them um, and mentor them and then that turned into a part time job it was youth development specialist and um, from there it seemed like that's when I got my feet where as far as like teaching leadership classes and it was something I was I think I was supposed to be doing Okay, that's really interesting that um, that it took that turn. That's something we talk a lot about on this podcast too. Is that life doesn't always go the way you think it's going to go, and you you have to kind of find your way to, to where you want to be. No, no. I mean, back then I thought I was going to be the next marketing guy. I was just going to come up with this new product and sell it and make a bunch of money. But, right. Um, I, I love coaching basketball, and I love teaching young people, and um, I certainly found my goal. Yeah. Um. So you and your wife are foster parents. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you came to make that decision to become foster parents? Yeah, yeah. Um, as I as I kind of unpack my story, you kind of know a little bit about what my driving force was. Right. Um, but on our second date, um, my wife asked me uh, if I would ever do foster care. Um, if I would ever want to become a foster parent, and I told her yes. And she loves to tell the story that at that moment, that's when she knew that she was going to marry. So <laughs> we laugh about that. So when we do trainings and stuff like that, I always kind of open up with that joke. But it wasn't a joke at all. Like she, she asked me that question and I told her yes. And then I kind of unpacked the story the same way I just did to her. Mm-hmm. And at the time she was working in the foster care field, with this particular demographic and always knew that she had in her heart to become a foster parent. Um, it's, it's just the opportunity never really presented itself because um, she wanted, she didn't want to do it alone. So now, now that we're married, like probably six months after we were married, we had two teenage children and then I had two children from a previous marriage. So 
within six months of marriage, we went from two to six. Wow. That and that's that's what started our full secure journey. Okay. Um, before I kind of get into some personal questions about you and your family, I wanted to do some more general questions about foster care just to give people some understanding of really more more about foster care in general, and then we can get back into your story. Um, what should the general public know about foster care that they don't know right now? Um, the general public really needs to know that anyone can do it. Um, you can be a single person, you can be a married couple. Um, you don't have to have like a lot of money. Um, I think the only thing that you really need is a loving heart and a stable home. Okay. Uh, and I like to kind of think of it like this. If, if, you, if you're at your house on a Sunday afternoon and a kid comes to knock on the door and he's hungry, um, and he might just a little, he might need a hug. The humane thing to do is just to, to help that kid that's in need. Um, you wouldn't turn any kid away. The thing about foster care is that we sign up to be the doorstep that the kid arrives at. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really it. So there's so many kids that's out there, people like us to be able to help them that, um, that's that's what I think the general public really needs to know is the the need that's that's for it. Okay, why are children in foster care? I know there's a lot of reasons, but I was hoping you could touch on some of the reasons that kids might be in foster care. Um, sometimes you know, like like a situation like mine, you might have like a like a parent that that died. You might have a parent that's abusive. Um, there are a lot of different reasons, but um, most of most of the time, um, the kid that's removed from their current situation is coming from a place of abuse or neglect, um, and that's pretty much what gets them removed from their current situation, and then they enter um, a temporary housing shelter to to where they actually can see if they can find like a, a family member or somebody that can take. Um, and typically when that doesn't happen, then they have to enter the foster care system so that uh, a, a pool of parents can then be notified to say, hey, there's a kid available who can take. Okay. How long does a child stay in foster care usually? Usually, um, it really depends. I think the younger ones don't, um, don't stay in there. Was nearly as long as, as the older ones to us. The, the teenagers are the ones that are really, really hard to place. I mean, you have a lot of parents or foster parents that become foster parents for a multitude of different reasons. Um, some of them may not be able to, some married couples may not be able to conceive themselves. So they look for alternative routes to be able to actually build a family. Right. So sometimes um, they're looking for children and babies and stuff like that, but Teenagers are kids too. Yeah. And, uh, when the the longer you're in there, the more likely you are to stay in there. Mm-hmm. So if you're a man at 12, 13 years old, um, and nobody wants to take a chance on what they might think is a damaged kid, then um, it becomes really difficult to place that child in a loving home okay. or in a foster home. Okay. Um, what are some of the common myths about foster care? 
Yeah, we do it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's a stipend that you get per per child, depending on their circumstance and things of that nature. But um, nobody is ever getting rich being a foster parent. Right. And typically, I know in my house, I'll pay out way more than I take in. So, um, yeah, I just want to squash that myth that a lot of people do it for the money. I think you have some parents that are out there that have really, really good hearts, and then you got a really, really lot. I mean, then you got some people that just are bad, spoiled people that just prey on children, and it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those people are going to too. Okay. Um, so how many kids have you and your wife fostered? Um, we've been doing, we've had our license open for close to seven years now. Um, six, a little over six years. Okay. And we've had 18 placements today. Wow. Okay. All of the placements have been teenagers. So that's kind of our niche. Um, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, are foster parents and all they'll take is a certain it's a certain demographic. They say they might say, "Okay, we will foster uh, children between the ages of like infants or uh, one-year-olds or toddlers or just girls." And mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of people that have different reasons as to why they do it. Okay. Um, we chose teenagers because they are the most vulnerable and they're the hardest to place. Um, and we work with teenagers for a living, so we felt better suited to, to go the teenager world. Okay. But yeah, 18, 18 and, and seven years is, when I say that out loud, I, I'm like, man, we've, we've done a lot, and we'll probably continue to do more. Yeah, and you mentioned in your email that you just adopted one of your placements. Um, yeah. How many have you adopted? So we've adopted three. Okay. Um, we've adopted three over the over the course of this journey. Um, and when we first got into it, we the the we took a a, a sibling group, which was two brothers. Um, at the at the time, they were thirteen and fifteen. Um, and to know anything about about that is is what we call like the five percent club. So, teenagers after the age of 13, 14 years old. Um, are have a five percent chance of actually um, becoming uh, like getting adopted. Okay. Um, so a lot of times they might uh, age out of the foster care system um, at an alarming rate. So it's like the the older you get, the harder it is to find a family for um, that's willing to adopt them. We went into it knowing that we were going to adopt teenagers, in particular teenage boys. Um. So that's kind of what we did. And then there was one one of our sons brought home one of his friends who came from a very neglectful situation who never left our house. Um, so all of a sudden, now we got three and so on and so forth. So um, this latest one that we uh, adopted, um, she's uh, she came to us uh, in what we call a respite situation. Um, and if she's just supposed to come to us for the weekend and at the end of the weekend, I knew I wanted to send her her home okay. and then she became available for adoption and we, we, we adopted her. So now we have, uh, three that we've adopted and then 
all of the other placements, we just kind of try to help them uh, move on to their to their next, whatever that might look like. Yeah, so I guess that was one of my questions, is if a child in foster care does not get adopted by um, the foster parents that they're staying with, what, where do they go next? What I know it's different well, for every situation, but... Different for every situation, but the, the most important part of all foster care is the reunification. Yeah, that's the overall goal, right? Yeah, that's the that's a 100% goal. Okay. Um, a lot of times the demographic that we deal with, have uh, the parents have already, rights have already been terminated. Okay. Um, in the ideal foster situation, the foster parent knows that, goes into knowing that it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just gonna love that that child um, and give them everything that they need until mom and dad gets it together and eventually that kid can go home. Okay. Um, it's a lot of layers to that um, because a lot of times that child might be coming from an abusive situation. So we want to make sure as foster parents and as a system that the, the like those parents are adequate enough to be able to actually take care of each other. So it's a process and a lot of hoops that parents have to go through and jump through in order to get their children back. Mm-hmm. When it's done correctly, everybody involved is working toward that goal. Right. Okay. And if if the situation is that the foster child just that that's not looking like it's going to happen, like the reunification probably won't happen for whatever reason. The goal is to get them adopted by their foster parent. Is that the correct route? Um, yeah, or by anyone that's willing to do it. It okay. may be a, a long lost uncle or something like right. that, that that you might have found, or it might be a school teacher that's taken a look to them, or coach, mm-hmm. or just something in life. It might be a mentor, whoever it is. That's willing to step up and do that, and that's what we promote. Okay. So, it doesn't necessarily have to be the foster parent because a lot of foster parents don't actually want to adopt. Right. But as long as I mean, my, my wife worked in recruitment for so long, and we try to build relationships with people that's actually going to adopt, and they don't necessarily come from the foster care world. We can just be Susie up the street mm-hmm. who has a, a, a good heart and a, and a empty bed and a warm home we try to chat them up and say hey you ever thought about doing this um we talked about it so much that i would love to see it actually become mainstream yeah can you talk a little bit about statistically i guess like why i don't know really know how i want to word this but but why um it's so important for those kids to have a stable kind of permanent home rather than be passed around or never get adopted like what statistically or just in your work that you've seen like what are the benefits to that child um stability is the key Mm -hmm. and if you have like a child that's that's been in eight different homes and over a year then more than likely he's actually changed schools probably as many times so and and each time he leaves he leaves with a different mindset of, wow, no one wants me. Mm-hmm. Um, or they might be going to a different situation, uh, losing a piece of them every time they actually go okay. to somewhere else. So statistically, um, a good majority of the, the youth that age out 
is a, a lot of the females they and I don't know what the exact numbers are. My wife right. actually does a job in that means than I do, but I know a lot of the females after they graduate, um, a lot of them end up pregnant, and sometimes um, there's a, a there's a high majority of them that actually uh, end up incarcerated and and spend some time in the, in the justice system. So, okay. yeah, it's it's. If they don't get the help or get the families and stuff that they need, then basically they it turns into survival. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you and your wife got your license. So I think it's important to just kind of talk about logistically what it takes to become a foster parent, not just kind of mentally preparing, but the actual logistics of how to become a foster parent. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. There's a lot of um. So if you're, if you're looking forward to looking for information on becoming a foster parent. A lot of times all you have to do is just contact your local agency, um, your child welfare agency, or um, there might be uh, an agency in in your in your area that does it. I don't know I work for Bethany Christian Services and we're one of the world's largest uh, uh, foster and adoption agencies. Um, so you can find a, a, a Bethany agency almost in any city in the US. So I think really when it comes down to it is you really want to like find an agency that's actually going to work with you and believe in your uh, your values and your morals and and kind of work with that agency. What happens is there are trains that you actually have to walk through, um, parenting trains, and there's an extensive background check. Um, and then once you kind of jump through those hoops, and then um then you're kind of ready. There's, um, it probably takes, the whole process probably takes anywhere from like four to six months to actually do. Okay. And I'm assuming that once you are a foster parent, you get a lot of support also, um, like from the agency maybe that you work with? I think you get as much support as you, as you ask for. Okay. A lot of foster parents kind of go into it thinking that they got everything all figured out and they learn that, whoa, wait a minute, I don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get your support where needed. Um, I know a really good agency, uh, sometimes your experience is as good as your worker. Okay. So a really good worker that's resourceful and knows that what you need um then you can have a, a, a decent experience. But sometimes um, the worker, at the end of the day, they get so bombarded with so many kids that need to go places that they can sometimes overwork foster parents. So if I just call them every day, like, I got another one, I got another one, mm. can you take this one? Okay. Um, that, that gets to be a bit much sometimes. Yeah. Um, what are some good resources to learn about trauma? So this was actually a question that somebody asked when I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you. Um, I think it's somebody who might be considering becoming a foster parent and they're trying to learn a little bit more about, um, trauma that, that children might be dealing with before they actually become a foster parent. Um, there's a lot of different resources on trauma and it seems to be like a buzzword because, um, there's so many kids, all of our kids have experienced trauma. So if you've been removed from your home and your parents and your current situation, that's a traumatic experience. Yeah. And a lot of times our our trauma experience 
most of the cases have been removed, the law enforcement has been involved. So I think when it comes to trauma, it's a really good way to, I wouldn't say a good way. I think one of the, the biggest things to learn about trauma is learning triggers. Okay. Like what triggered a child to go back to the fight, flight, freeze moment that he might have had when, when, when that. And then that affects all different types of behaviors. Um, so you have a lot of preconceived notions about like um, ADHD and things like that when really that kid might have just be like suffering from PTSD, which is most foster kids have PTSD levels aside. I mean, the, the levels of um, soldiers that have experienced combat. Right. So there's people that don't know exactly how much PTSD and trauma that her children have been faced with. Okay. So that's why I give a big shout out to like the teachers that learn a lot of this stuff because they're really on the front lines there in her case day to day. Yeah. What have been some of the best things for you as a foster dad? Oh, just um, I like to call it the light bulb moment. Um, the kids come into our home and we actually have to establish a relationship and it's an interesting dynamic because now all of a sudden there's this kid that don't know me and I don't know him and he's expected to look at me as a father figure. And under normal circumstances, you want that kid to conform to your house, your rules, the way you do things. And it's just so difficult to actually get that to come to fruition in the first week that the kid is in the home. So there's like a honeymoon stage, and then there's like a after moon stage. Then there's like um, you, there's things that the kid will start doing to actually test to see if you actually like put them out and things like that. And then there's a light bulb moment where all of a sudden that kid realizes that you're gonna do anything for him. and then it's like a new person so then you really get to like peeling away some of the layers on that onion to get to the to the root of how you can actually love that child um and then once they start to feel safe and loved then you can really get to know the kid for who he is that's probably got to be the most rewarding part is to get the kid to actually love you for who you are and I love him for who he is. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really glad you broke it down like that. I think it's I think it's so important to to break it down like that. Do you feel like there's any anything in media that has depicted foster care well, or anything that has has done a bad job of depicting what foster care is actually like? Like any movies or shows that might be more popular that depict? Uh, there was a movie that my wife and I went to to watch. Um, and it's escaping me. Mark Wahlberg was in it. Okay. Um, and that was depicted really, really well. Um, and it broke down like the struggles of like taking in teenagers. So when I watched that movie, um, it, it kind of reminded me of my own home. Um, I cannot remember the name of that movie. I saw. I apologize. Um, and then there's the, there's a TV show, This Is Us. Yes, um, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> does a, a 
a wonderful job of like explaining like the intricacies of foster care and like all of the issues and the drama that kind of comes along with um, the blatantly obvious. And what I mean by that is if you have if you have a, a set of white parents and then all of a sudden they walk through the door in a restaurant with a black child, everybody automatically assumes that that kid is on some level. So it that show does a good job of kind of like unpacking all of that stuff and breaking some of that stuff down okay. uh, very real way. Okay. Um, I don't tend to watch the show too much because it'd be having you all in your feelings my wife and car a lot so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes it's a good show but it's definitely uh it hits it hits the emotions pretty hard <laughs> um is there anything that you wish you had known before you started fostering i wish that um i wish that someone would have told me how rewardingly hard it was going to be um, I think that I automatically assumed simply because I came from I came from like some similar situations of the kids that I'm actually trying to parent that it, there's no easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would have liked to have known that the the support group that you have now, and it might be like your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother. They're not, they're not doing this with you, so to speak. So they might not always understand, like, your immediate support group, the people that you, you know, have in your life, helping you day to day, might not always understand exactly what it is that they, that you will do. So because they're not going in it with them, with you, they probably, it's a really good chance that you can lose them as a support group. Mm. So along the, along the way, our, there are certain family members that, don't quite understand that what we do. So I don't necessarily confide in them what happens in my home because they don't get it. So I wish somebody would have told me, find people that are doing it along, I mean, with you so you can like lean and glean into them for information um, and lean on them for support. So then once you actually kind of like start to put together your village, your village will willingly want to go through it with you. Um, so it's been really, it's been really gratifying to find people that are now my friends that I can say, okay, there's a foster parent training. I need you to come with me. Um, so you can understand exactly what, what's going on when, when I take in a new placement and things like that. Yeah. So just kind of be prepared for a new kid that's coming in. Um, and trying to make them feel as comfortable as possible. That was actually one of my questions about support. So something that comes up on this podcast a lot is like what you shouldn't say. So can you give some examples of like things that you should not say to someone you know who is fostering or to a foster kid? Ooh, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually a chapter in my book from this, um, where it's like things that you shouldn't say and one of the things that you probably shouldn't say is um what's his story mm-hmm. like what happened to him um especially in front of the child 
I mean, it's amazing, like, how many how many things that you hear with that, like, and then you ask it, like, foster parents might ask us, I mean, other parents, any, I mean, I really, really, really need to, like, that, that's painful for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and especially with the kid that's sitting right there. Right. I mean, it's it's amazing how, I guess, how for lack of a better term, how, how ignorant people are. Yeah. And how ignorant they are. Um, just by asking, okay, well, how come you can't have children of their own? Well, they're all mine. Right. Things yeah. like that. Yeah, I well, um, I was kind of thinking. I unfortunately feel like foster care has a bit of a negative surrounding to it. So I, I, I'm glad you brought up that not everybody will support you in this decision, but what are ways that you could support somebody you know that is becoming a foster parent? You mentioned going to like the class with them, but is there anything else? Yeah, there's a lot of different things that you can do. I think when it really comes down to it is that everything, every Megan, everybody can do something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care what it is. It, it could be something as simple as um, taking that child to a doctor's appointment because I'm at work. It could be something as simple as like, like now, like like traditional parents, they'll have a they'll have a kid, and then all of a sudden people will bring food. Yeah. Like I need people to bring food when I take in a place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess that people don't always think about that. Like you need the same support that you would have as if you were have your own child. <laughs> you know, you need babysitters, you need people to help drive them to practice. You still need that support. But I, I just feel like people don't always get that. And everybody, everybody can do something. I mean, even if you're not going to be a full-fledged foster parent, maybe you can give a foster parent a break um, and take a, take a child for like a weekend um, just so they can have a break. Um, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Okay. Um, those are kind of the last of my act- my questions, but I want to um, make sure, sh- well, I have a few more before we wrap up, but I want to make sure that we covered everything you wanted to talk about. So is there anything we missed as far as um, your own experience as a foster parent or the work that you do that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wrote a book on this, on this subject, and it's basically called Thoughts of a Foster Dad. And it started out as a blog on Facebook of me just getting out my issues that I might have been having or experiencing. Um, And all of that blog work just kind of turned into like a diary of stuff. Okay. I don't think I ever kind of like sought out to be an author so much. That's kind of what it turned into. Um, So then at... The foster care community was like reading some of my stuff. It became affirming when they would comment and and, and say, "Okay, that's exactly what I was feeling." Um, what did you do in order to get through what it was that you were going through? And then that that dialogue started to go back and forth, um, and then it kind of kind of turned into almost somewhat of a problem. So that's when I kind of knew I was on to something. Yeah. Uh, then I started to write my story um, all the way from, you know, back when I was removed at the age of 14 um, up until up until like me, like parenting the, the children that are in my home. And basically it's like the book unpacks 
stories in a very real and raw way. Um, and then at the end of each chapter, there's applicable takeaways. Um, saying it was like, hey, I'm no expert, but when I had this situation dealing with trauma, I tried this or I did this, and this is what worked for me. Um, so when you read the book, it's extremely entertaining, but at the same time, it's very educational. So I want people to know out there that you don't necessarily have to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent to be able to read it and enjoy it and then take away something from Yeah, so I think for people listening, if anybody wants some more um, in-depth kind of stories of Julian and his experience, definitely check that out. Is your Facebook page still active too, The Thoughts of a Foster Dad? Yes, okay. I'm very active on, I mean, on, on the Facebook page, Thoughts of a Foster Dad. Um, you can also pick up the book, Thoughts of a Foster Dad, on Amazon. Great. Are there other resources that you would recommend to people who want to learn more about this? Um, yeah, I mean, anytime you can pick up a book and read anything about foster care, that's always good. Um, there's all types of different, um, there's actually a foster care podcast, um, but yeah, it's not necessarily any resources, so to speak. I know if you live in the Grand Rapids area, I work for the Grand Rapids Center for Community Transformation, and we focus on that underserviced demographic of foster children between the ages of 14 and 18. Okay. So the resources as far as like um, just having like a place that they can actually go to and come to and call their own. Um, I work, that's where I work, but it's a real, real need for uh, a lot of kids that don't feel like they have anything to have something that they can't do for like it's theirs. What is one thing you would tell someone or, or a couple, so either a single person or a married couple who wants to start fostering? Oh, do it. Just, just, just do it. Um, and, and it's one of the most rewarding things that you'll ever do. Um, it's not for the faint hearts. Um, by any means, but I think really what it comes down to it is that all all kids deserve a loving home, and if you have a loving home and uh, some energy and uh, and some love to give, then by all means you should do it. Yeah, I feel like another kind of misconception of foster care or a question that's pretty commonly asked is like, don't you get too attached? Do you have an answer to that question? Yeah, I wrote, I wrote about this in my book. Okay. There's a chapter called, um, I Want to Go Home. And I Want to Go Home uh, talks about a 14-year-old boy that comes into our home. And I get I get attached to him right away. Um, and, I just, and I just love him. And I love him. And I love him. But at the end of the day, all he wanted was to just go back home to his mom. The problem with that is that his mom was uh, extremely like uh, abusive and neglect mm. to but it didn't matter to him all he wanted was to go home so when you truly love a child um you want what's best for him and sometimes what's best for him is to actually go back home right 
So I thought that I would be attached and I wouldn't want to give the kid back when nothing was further from the truth. Like I loved him so much that I, that I was would do anything in my power to make sure that he was happy and that he was safe and loved and protected. Um, so sending him home was extremely gratifying because at the end of the day, I loved him and that's what he wanted. And that's what he did. Um, and it didn't have anything. And it just, just threw away any notions of me thinking that I was going to be too attached to him because I'm, nothing, nothing was further from the truth when it came to that. Right. Um, and then sometimes if you do it right, sometimes that, you know, that, that kid that you actually stay at home, you'll still have ties with and, you know, for, for some years, I still had ties with this young man. Yeah, that was actually another question that just popped up in my head as you were, as you were speaking, is do you get updates on the kids that you have fostered? Um, I don't know, like, privacy, how that all works. Um, not not too often. Okay. Um, if you've established a relationship with the bio parents um, and you choose to go that route, there's nothing saying that you, that you couldn't. Um, it's rare when it happens, but it does happen. Okay. I don't necessarily always get updates from the parents so much as that, um, because we've always dealt with teenagers, mm-hmm. they, they, they're free to move about and communicate how they want. And there's so many different communication devices for them. Right. To us, especially when you're on social media, um, you're accessible. Yeah. Um, so the teenagers demographic is probably a little bit easier to stay in contact with them because they're they're freely gonna gonna call you when they can unlike a five-year-old right she might have attached to and then just went home um because let's face it i mean sometimes foster parents are the enemy when it comes to the bio parents mm-hmm. the bio parents and the foster parents um a lot of times the bio parents feel like it's our fault that they're in a situation that, that they are. And a lot of times we're just trying to love on them until they get, you know, until they get it together and they can take the kid back. Cause I mean, in all actuality, I don't want them. I don't want, I don't want their kid. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I don't want them to actually get it together enough to be able to have their kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's your goal. So, yeah. And that's our goal. And you, I've seen it a lot of times where the bio parents, Blame the foster parents and don't want anything to do with us. So when you send that five-year-old home, you might not ever see them or hear from them again because they don't right. like you. That's so interesting. Um, so with the teenagers, there's no rules about like not you can't contact them or anything like that. Um, there's there's definitely rules. Okay. Um, but there's not any rules saying that I can't like they can't reach out to me. Got it. So. Okay. If they decide that they, decide that they want to reach out to me, they almost certainly can. It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine, like you mentioned, with with all the ways also, you can communicate. Right. It also depends on what type of uh, relationship and what kind of bond you establish. I mean, how close did you get to them? Right. Because if you have a good enough relationship um, and they feel like they need you for something and you always had that open door, yeah. they're probably going to walk through it at some point. Okay. Um, well, I have learned a lot, so I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, before we close, one of the things that I ask people to do, um, my dad had a saying, build each other up, don't tear each other down. And so I ask every guest to give me somebody that they want to build up. It can be an individual person or a group of people. Did you have somebody in mind? 
Um, yeah, I had more of an organization in mind, yeah, that's and that's nice. that's where it worked. It's right like the Center for Community Transformation. They're doing awesome work. We probably touched the lives of about upwards of about two hundred fifty foster care youth a year. Um, and teaching them various things and giving them jobs and mentors and just teaching them life skills that they actually need. Um, so there's a lot of different different things that uh, that they do that the community needs to uh, take part in and take notice of. Okay. Um, they're, they're doing really good work. So Justin Bean is the director over there, um, and, and we're just continuing to do just really good work over there. So. And can people volunteer there? So one of the things that we talked about is that um, if you don't want to be a foster parent, there's other things you can do. So are there volunteer positions available there? Yes, um, you can definitely volunteer. Um, if you can't volunteer, you can donate. You can't donate. If you can't foster, you can volunteer. If you can't volunteer, you can donate. Right. You can't donate. You can. There's all different types of stuff that you can do. But we have uh, a mentoring program, um, and we're always looking for people that's willing to mentor our young people. So um, it's something similar to like a big brother, big sisters, but mm-hmm. we have mentoring programs that you can sign up and volunteer for and I think that's the best way um then uh, to, to give back is to give of your time and your talents because right. I think um our young people need to uh glean as much as they possibly can from positive people yeah my brother um works for the children's center in Detroit which sounds like it's pretty similar to to your work they work with a lot of foster care kids also and do like after school help for kids and things like that so for those in the Detroit area the children's center is another place to look into to volunteer yeah um so social media it's thoughts of a foster dad correct on your Facebook yeah yeah I'm pretty accessible I mean even Julian Goodson on uh on Facebook too. That's okay. probably about the only social media platform that I use. I need to get the young people to help me out with all the other stuff. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, is there anything else you wanted to throw in before we close? Outside of um, grabbing that book off of Amazon, um, and then if there's anybody that's out there that's looking for um, a speaking. I'm always looking to like come out and like talk to your organization and um, share my story and share my knowledge and my we we do a lot of training and things like that. So I'm always looking for opportunities to speak. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so if people have questions for Julian, definitely check out his Facebook page. You can also send them to me, and I can get them to Julian. I'm for sure going to order that book. So I hope other people do as well to learn a little bit more about your story um and julian i really appreciate you coming on i think people learn or learn a lot from this episode i hope so i hope so and if if i can encourage at least one person to take in a child then i've done my job so yeah if it so goes out to a whole lot of people and somebody gets encouraged enough to actually do it then we've done good exactly uh yeah or even just to volunteer even to start with some volunteers and then yeah maybe inspire somebody to consider fostering more seriously. I think I have a couple people who might be interested in it because I have I had two people who sent me quite a few questions for you. So um, I might follow up with them once this episode is posted and, and see what they think. Yep. Yeah. Hey, feel free to have them reach out to me also. Will do. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Julian. I really appreciate it.